0: Good evening, I hope you brought your Bible with you and ask you to take it out and turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter nine. We'll begin by looking at a passage there in just a moment. Proverbs chapter nine. Thank you, Gary, for leading that song. That's one of the most meaningful hymns to my wife and I, especially in the last year or so. So that puts me in a good place. I mentioned this morning that in a situation like this, there's an expectation that we would build each other up. Uh, hopefully I have done something to build you up this weekend and you've done things to build me up this weekend. There's also an expectation of these sort of things that at some point we're gonna get together and eat some food. That tends to happen. And that happened this afternoon. But I have to tell you something, folks at Oak Mountain, you have been measured and found wanting. This was a gathering of the good people here, the body of Christ, in the state of Alabama. And I went to go get drinks for my wife and I, and I asked for sweet tea and was told, we don't have any. No sweet tea at a potluck in the state of Alabama. Can you imagine? And now I have to go take that report back to the Christians in Texas. But then I had later a piece of Amy's sweet potato dumplings, and all was made right. (laughs) And and we have been treated so well since we've been here. Uh, Alan and April, of course, have treated us very well. And as I said this morning, and would say again right now, uh, the conversations that we've had, the time that we've spent together in God's Word has been encouraging to me. And I hope that it's been that for you as well. But there's something about food. There's a reason why we get together to eat. And even in the Bible, you see that there's a special place that eating together has, even in the body of Christ. But there's also something about food that makes very relatable to us. And the Bible often makes points and uses food as an illustration to tell us something about usually what God is offering to us and also what the world is offering to us. I want to point out an example of that here in Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, we have two meals that are described, two invitations to two feasts, to two tables here in the book of Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 1 says, "...Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town." Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. But then in verse 13, it says that the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. And takes a seat at the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. The book of Proverbs is a book about living well, living a full and fruitful life in the fear of the Lord. And it's a book, of course, about wisdom and applying wisdom in our lives. And that's exactly the sort of thing that we have been talking about this weekend, both with the teens and in our time together today. We've been talking about wisdom, living wisely, and wisely interacting with the technology and the media in our lives. And we've been talking about living well, living full and fruitful lives. So let's stick with the food metaphor tonight and talk about our diet and nutrition when it comes to our consumption of media and of information in the digital age. The question would be this, how can we consume in a way that cultivates wisdom and leads to a fullness of life and avoid eating in such a way that breeds folly in our lives and leads to self-destruction. There's basically two places that I wanna point to in terms of where I uh, got a lot of these ideas and uh, collected some of these points. And by the way, I told Alan this, um, I have a resource list, books, articles, sermons, uh, and so forth, videos that have been helpful to myself and to others in thinking through these things. Many of these books or articles I've mentioned this weekend. And I'm gonna get that to you all so you can have that for further contemplation and further reading. But one tonight is going to be from Dr. Kimberly Young. She has since passed away, but she wrote the first major book on internet addiction. And this is really her phrase. She used the language of diet, digital diet, and digital nutrition in helping addicts to recover. And then the other one tonight is a book called The Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken. Uh, And as we'll see, he uses that old food pyramid to lay out healthy consumption habits for Christians who are seeking wisdom in an unwise age. So here's what we're gonna do tonight. First, we're gonna talk briefly about what's wrong with our current diet and nutrition habits. What's wrong with the way that we consume media? Why are we so unhealthy? as a society and as individuals. Then we'll talk about how to establish a healthy diet, which will mean one thing, and then we'll talk about what we need to be consuming to be properly nourished, nutrition, which is the other thing. Let's start by talking about the problems that we have in our consumption of media and information in the digital age. These are categories that McCracken lays out in his book, and I'll share them with you And all of these things connect to other things that we've talked about either this morning or yesterday. The first is that we are guilty as a society and as people of information gluttony. There is just too much. I mean, think about an average day and how much we consume. How many pictures, how many words, how much sound, how many videos. We are just constantly bombarded with advertisements and information and media and entertainment. And really, in the end, it's overwhelming. And after a certain point, like with food, it stops nourishing us and it starts leaving us feeling exhausted and overwhelmed. We're just taking in too much through our eyes and through our ears, especially digitally, right, through technology and through media. So information gluttony has left us unhealthy. There's also what he calls perpetual novelty. The internet age, as you know, is all about the right now. I mean, breaking news is what happened in the last five minutes, and then five minutes later, that's old news and we're moving on to the next thing. The same thing is true of viral memes or funny videos or of uh, the latest outrage, the thing that everyone's upset about. Come tomorrow, we'll, be, we'll forget. We'll have forgotten what we were upset about today and we'll be upset about something else. But everything is moving from one thing to the next, drop to go on to something else. And that speed and that turnover is, if you stop and think about it, it's antithetical to the cultivation of wisdom. Wisdom requires time to think about something, to process it, to, I don't know, maybe let some time play out to see where things go and see what the result of something is. But there's none of that in the age of Twitter and Instagram and social media and even cable news and sports for that matter, if you wanna lump that in. It's about what's happening right now and on to the next thing. It's moving too fast for us to gain wisdom from it or to process it correctly. And then the third category that he uses is what he calls look within autonomy. This relates maybe most closely to what we talked about this morning when we talked about the mirror of Erised and looking into our screens and basically seeing a reflection of our own desires. And media and social media, as we've said, has been crafted to fit us. And so everything that we're consuming, not to mention the fact that we have so many choices that we can just choose what we want to consume and leave out all the rest. But when everything is tailored towards me, that means it's up to me as an individual to determine what's good, what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's wise and what's foolish. And so more and more we are living in the days that the book of Judges describes, when there's no king in Israel and everyone is simply seeing and doing what is right in their own eyes. Okay, don't want to belabor this. I think we can probably all agree that we have messed ourselves up. We have gotten to a place where we are unhealthy. And so we want to ask the question, how do we get healthier? And so we wanna talk about diet and nutrition. These are different terms in the way I'm using them this evening, and the way that Dr. Kimberly Young used them. When we talk about diet, we're talking about the how much. The how much we are consuming, the amount that we are consuming. And in the words of Dr. Young, she says, digital diet is about being mindful of what you are doing online and how much time you are spending there. It's about embracing the good it brings when used for things like work, school, and fun without over-consuming. She says it's about moderating yourself. We might say that this is about setting boundaries. And so on one hand, we remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 13 when he says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. We set boundaries so that we are not led away into temptation. But I wanna remind you of something that we talked about this morning when we talked about the human purpose, the Eden vision of technology, that we as men and women were given the charge by God, and it still holds true, that we are told to tend and to keep, remember those words from this morning, to cultivate and to bring forth fruitfulness in the earth and to protect and to guard ourselves and our families and our churches. And I don't know very much about gardening. Gardening is becoming very trendy. So maybe at some point, my wife and I will get sucked in and start planting our own tomatoes and all that. But I'm no expert. But from what I understand, when you're planting a garden and growing a garden, boundaries are necessary. And it's occurred to me that planting uh, or, or setting up boundaries when you're growing something like a garden is important for two reasons. You set boundaries, you build a fence or a wall in a garden And on one hand, it keeps out what is dangerous, the things that might get in uh, and harm what's on the inside. That keeps those things out, but it also allows everything on the inside to flourish and to be more fruitful because the nutrients and the things that you're doing, the water, all of that stays contained in that marked off area and enables that to be even more fruitful. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about setting up limits. We're setting up limits so that we can maximize the fullness even of what we do online or through digital media, while preventing the technology and the devices from encroaching in unwanted ways and stealing that fullness. There's two types of limits that I want to uh, suggest to you. And as we do this, I want to remind you of what Jesus says when he says that it's better to go into life without your hands than to have your hand and to go into destruction. Okay, and I want us to be honest about this and realize there is no line too strict or sacrifice too great if it's what needs to be done for my spiritual welfare, the spiritual welfare of my family or my children. So I'm gonna say some general things and I'm gonna give some specific examples or suggestions and these are not gonna work for everybody necessarily but I want each of us to think honestly about what I need to do in my life and to work on these and set these boundaries and limits in conversation and in fellowship with my wife or my husband, with my children, with my parents, and with my church family. So two types of limits that we'll identify. One is I encourage you to set limits of time. One suggestion that you'll see frequently is to just take a break for a while. In fact. Uh, one of the young ladies mentioned this yesterday. said, August is gonna be Instagram fast, right? No Instagram in the month of August. And I said something about that yesterday. Something about just take a break for a while. Whatever it is, whether you want to do total media fast or one particular thing, just get off it for a little while and just see what happens. And pay attention to your mindset and to your heart and to kind of what's going on. You know, those withdrawal symptoms as you start to feel your hand shake and twitch for that device. But then I think it's necessary for all of us to have ongoing established time limits. So here would be some suggestions. Maybe each device or each social media account has a daily time limit, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever. This is a big one that I would suggest, and it's been helpful for my wife and I, is setting a time to power down in the evening and put the phone somewhere else and not get on the computer or even the TV Shut all that down first, and then you have your time to wind down, to go to sleep, and then get up in the next morning and leave those things aside for a certain amount of time so that in the end it's maybe no screens from 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. or whatever, again, you decide is best. Some have suggested taking a Sabbath, so to speak, from media one day a week, or maybe doing a longer fast, as we've mentioned, like 30 or 40 days. I will say this to give credit where credit is due to these technology creators. Uh, Even in the last couple years since I've been talking about some of these things in various places, uh, there is more tools, there are more tools available on your phone to help you to limit yourself. I know I'm an iPhone user and iPhone has screen time as a, a kind of a setting or a group of settings within restrictions that helps you and gives you the option to limit the time you're spending on the phone or on certain Apps. Now, it's still gonna involve our self-control, but as we said this morning, we need to be masters of our technology. We need to be smarter than our devices, if that's possible, and use the tools that are available to set restrictions. Again, in this case, set restrictions of time. By the way, if you don't know how to do any of that, look around here in the auditorium and identify someone who looks like they would know how to do that on your phone, and go ask them, and I'm sure they would help you. But by setting time limits, we remove more and more of that mindless time, that endless scroll that we're all guilty of. And hopefully we begin to be more focused with the time that we are using on these things. So set limits of time, and I would also encourage you to set limits of place. This is to keep our devices from encroaching on certain spaces of our life that simply need to be off limits. I'm using space here literally. There are certain spaces that are Again, sanctified or special. And again, it's different with everybody in different situations. But again, some example suggestions might be leave your phone in the car when you come to worship or leave it at home. This is a space. I I don't mean the building's holy. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when we come together in the assembly, we're coming to do something special. And that phone, for many of us, is more of a distraction to us than it is a help or a necessity. And so maybe the phone stays out of the worship assembly or of Bible class. When we meet up with other people, we go to lunch with somebody or meet up with somebody to talk over coffee. Leave the phone aside. You know as well as I do that even if that phone's in your pocket when you're talking to somebody and trying to have a good conversation, even if you don't look at it, the buzz, you ever have that you're talking to somebody and then the phone buzzes? And what are you thinking about for the next minute or two minutes? Who was that that texted me? Oh, I think I know who it was. They probably want this, and here's what I'm going to need to do about that. Oh, what were you saying again? Those are special times. The dinner table, when we're together with our family. No phone there. And I mentioned this to the kids yesterday, uh, and I said this morning that many tech executives in Silicon Valley are very serious about the limitations they put on their kids. In the article I referenced, it says in there that across the board, tech executives say this, the one rule that is most uncommon common. For their kids, no phones in the bedrooms. No phones in the bedrooms. I think that's a good uh, line to draw across the board, even for adults, although there may need to be wisdom shown about where those devices stay overnight. On the other hand, we're talking about limits of place. I would suggest this as well. All of that has been about where the technology doesn't go it may be good also to designate places where that technology is going to be. So instead of what is maybe typical in our lives in 21st century America, where our technology devices, TV, screen, tablets are just kind of strewn all throughout the house. In every room, there's something that you can get connected on. What about putting all of that in a designated space, a phone station where the phone stays and you, you go there? Almost like the days of that corded phone. Yes, I remember the days of a phone with a cord on it. Where you had to be in that one spot instead of using it all throughout the house. Or a room where the TV and the video games and the electronics are, but it stays there. And when we're gonna use it, we go there. And the rest of our space in the house is free from these distractions. But Dr. Young would say this, disconnect to reconnect disconnect to reconnect. So what we're talking about this weekend is to be intentional about turning off the noise in order to focus on more meaningful relationship. relationship with God, of course, first and foremost, and then relationship with others. So you may not like my suggestions, and they may not even be good suggestions, but the point is this. We need boundaries in our life, and I would encourage you if nothing else, to establish these thoughtfully and consistently, doing so in prayer and doing so in conversation with other people. So that's digital diet, how much, limiting the amount of what we are consuming. But there's also this other element which is digital nutrition, and for our purposes, what we mean by nutrition as opposed to diet is what the actual content is that I am producing. So not how much you're eating, but what you're eating when it comes to media and information. And here I'm referring to or using uh, the ideas from this book called The Wisdom Pyramid. And this probably looks familiar, or the shape of this looks familiar to many of us. Uh, Alan and I were wondering if this is still taught in schools. I tend to think not. Uh, but if you remember the food pyramid, that kind of was designed to lay out for you what would be the best things to eat and in what quantities. And I'm not here to discuss or to debate the validity of what they said was the most important thing to eat. But we remember the concepts. And Brett McCracken has used this concept to uh, talk about how Christians should feed themselves in seeking to be wise and seeking to live full lives. And so I'm not going to go and talk about every one of his categories, but we'll generalize to some degree. The first is that we have to remember that the Bible is our daily bread and that we are now and we have always been people of the book. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 says, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. I hate to say this, because I don't want you to start thinking that you wasted all this time having me come all the way from Texas to simply tell you, we got to be reading our Bibles. We have to be reading our Bibles and reading them all the time. That's who we are. And that, according to Psalm 1, and many other scriptures throughout the Bible. That is the food that we consume to live a full and fruitful life. I said this yesterday to the teenagers. Don't you want to be the man of Psalm 1? Don't you want to be the woman who is rooted and secure and at peace and fullness, and nothing gets us shaken? Instead, we stand firm and are a blessing to other people. We all want to be that. But it's only going to happen if we are meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. And for all the good ideas, or not so good ideas that we've talked about this weekend, and things that we can do to be better about our consumption of social media or of technology or our devices, there is a pretty low ceiling on what we can be as Christians if we are not constantly reading our Bibles every day. And so we have to ask ourselves some hard questions like, am I having devotional time each day before I'm on a device? How regular is my Bible consumption compared to my consumption of other media? Is Bible reading as regular and as important a part of my family life as movie nights or playing video games together? Okay, you get the point. We need to be, we are people of the book, and we need to be feeding ourselves on the bread of life and the bread of God's word. But the second kind of major pillar, the way McCracken describes it, I think he's right, is the people of God that we need to have a deep connection with. We talked about Psalm 1 and this picture of fruitfulness and fullness. Listen to another passage that is also about fullness and fruitfulness. Where Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we are to no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My flourishing, my fullness as a Christian depends on my connection with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So these two things we might say are the big rocks. If you remember that illustration about, you have the big rocks and the gravel and the sand, how do you get it all in one jar? You gotta start with the big rocks. You put those things in first, and then everything else follows. And the Word of God and the people of God are the big rocks, the foundational pillars of our nutrition and of our consumption. Well, Kraken talks about some other things that we'll all lump together. And my suggestion would be to fill these other spaces of my life with nature and with good books and with the beauty of God's creation or even the beautiful things that have been made by man. Think about how many psalms and how many scriptures, some we've already referenced this weekend, that talk about the beauty of God's creation and the wonder that can be derived and what we can learn about God from that. We can't do that. We can't wonder and praise God for His creation if we're never outside. So that needs to be an important part of our life. And while prioritizing the discipline of Bible reading, I would say that reading good books And I would also say that usually means they're old books as opposed to newer books, not across the board. But when we're reading good old books, they can make us wiser, more empathetic, and better people in the end. So this maybe is a weird thing. I feel a little bit weird in a sermon, you know, saying things like go outside and watch a sunrise or read J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or go listen to Bach's Italian concerto they are kind of weird sermon applications. But I believe that these are good and healthy things. And if we're filling our life around the big pillars with these sorts of things, we will be better off for it. But then all this leads to the question that you're like, I thought this was actually about digital nutrition. So what about using our computers, our smartphones, or even social media? And there is a place for those, at least on McCracken's pyramid, And I tend to agree that used selectively, these things do have their benefit. My poison of choice, I might say, is YouTube. And I have found over the last few years that there's a lot of helpful things on YouTube in a couple different ways. There's a lot of wisdom to be gained on YouTube because I have found some thinkers and some professors, some Christians, preachers. I have really good things to say, really important things to say, and I have access to listen to their lectures or to their classes or to interviews with them. And many of those things have been very helpful to me, especially in thinking through some of the current events of the last few years. But how much time, maybe how much more time, has been spent spent with the distracting, oh, well, that video over there looks interesting too. Oh, what about this one over here? Hours and hours later. And so we're back to the importance of boundaries. But within the boundaries, there are helpful things there as well. Even with my responsibilities as a husband and as a father, I didn't know really how to fix or do anything around the house and still know very little. And I'm not alone. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm assuming it would be a high percentage of the men in here that would say, Yep, I use YouTube to, you know, fix the washing machine or change a light bulb or so there are helpful things that I can use to the benefit of my family, even. I got an Audible account. Uh, Audible is uh, audio via Amazon, so sending Amazon a few more dollars each month can't hurt, right? And those audio books used through my device have been really good for me, to listen to good books and to gain wisdom from that. But I have found myself at times, we talked about the need for quiet, and for no noise at all just to think and to reflect, I have found myself reaching for even an audiobook or a podcast just to fill my ears with something. And even that can be a danger if we're not spending that time alone. And so you could give your own examples of something that there is benefit in it, there is a usefulness, but without boundaries, it can easily take over. And we can drift into things that are not helpful and that are not good for us. And the pyramid can start to get turned on its head. I would also say this. It occurred to me that uh, if this is valid, then the things down here, the two foundational things of God's people and God's word, are not just where we spend the the majority of our time, but also occurred to me that anything we do up here should feed what's down here or point us to what's on the bottom. What, What do I mean by that? Well, you probably know there are so many tools available online for growing in our knowledge of God's Word. And I'll put some of those, the, at least the resources that have been helpful to me, on the, uh, the list that I send to you all. But Jared and I were talking at lunch this afternoon about all the, ser- can you imagine what, where we've come now? That now all of these good preachers across the world and going back through the decades, so much of their material, their books, their sermons, their classes, their class material, It's online, it's out there for us to take advantage of. Spend time every week, if you don't mind me plugging, the podcast here with Kevin and with Bob. There's good stuff out there that we can be consuming on the internet and through digital media that only reinforces our knowledge and understanding of God's word. The same thing would be true with God's people. Use social media for connecting with other Christians. Think about who's on my feed, who am I following? Now, there may be some wisdom, and we could talk about the value of, like in real life, having exposure and interaction with people of the world that we're trying to maybe evangelize or understand where they're coming from, and all that's true. But like in real life, we need to be discerning and wise about what is my community, and that's as much true on Instagram or on Facebook as it would be in real life, and using social media to connect ourselves to Christians to good people that will build us up and give us opportunities to encourage as well. So when we think about where internet and social media falls in our life, that's the two things I want you to think about. One is the amount of time. How much time compared to the other more important things? And then what am I doing with it? Am I doing things with it that contribute to the more important things, the priorities in my life? As the old saying goes, you are what you eat. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we are eating? And again, the Bible asks us the same question. And so we'll end with what I think is maybe the most beautiful invitation in all of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 55. When God says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money, without price. Notice this question here that God asks Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and that I can make an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. I'm convicted when I ask myself, how much have I spent? How much time? How much effort, energy, and focus have I spent consuming things that are not food and that do not satisfy? What has it stolen from from me. And all the time God is offering the richest, most fulfilling food now and forever totally by his grace. I can't pay for it, but he's offered it to me in abundance in Jesus Christ and through his spirit. So we'll end again with an invitation as we sing this song. If you're sick or starving from an unhealthy diet. Let this invitation of the gospel be your hope. And if you have not yet tonight tasted of the kindness of the Lord, eaten the bread of life, He is inviting you to His table now and forever. And we're asking you to accept an invitation tonight if you need to. You can come to the front as we stand and sing.